Are you ready to get into the Word? All right, I am ready to get into the Word. We are in uh, part six, I believe, let me just check that. Yes, part six of a series called For What? Yes, thank you, Wisdom for Life. And the theme scripture for the series is a scripture that I asked everyone to memorize, so I know you've all memorized it. It's Psalm 1, 1 through 6. And we're all going to say it from memory this morning. Don't worry, I have it up there. Oh, except 1 through 3. I actually memorized 1 through 6 because I'm an overachiever. No, that's I have to. Um, but 1 through 3, here we go. Let's read it together. Shout it out from, from the depths of your heart. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. This, my friends is the guide to the blessed life. It's not rocket science. This right here is the guide to the blessed life. And we've been walking through the three warnings and the three rewards talked about in here that we walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. It's important that not all the counsel that we walk in, right, not everything that everybody tells us, even our closest friends and family members, is godly counsel. But we walk in godly counsel. That standing in the path of sinners, it's not just that some people are bad and some people are good, like my son always asks me, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys? It's, it's not about that. This is saying there is innumerable ways to screw up your life, many paths, but there's one path, his name is Jesus, and he alone is the path to salvation. He alone is the path to blessedness, like here. So that's the path that we stand on. That's the path that we walk on. And it also says that to not sit in the seat of the scornful. That doesn't mean that we don't go and, you know, like Jesus, he dined with anyone. He dined with sinners. That's what the Bible says. It's not saying that we don't dine with sinners or dine with people who aren't believers, who don't believe like we do, or we're not friendly to people. It's not saying that. It's saying that when you are around people, is it your light getting on them or is it darkness getting into your heart? And this is saying that we don't sit in the seat of the scornful. The picture is reclining and allowing somebody else who mocks God, who's, who's set against God, who's making fun of his church, speak into your heart because your heart will get hard. And we've talked about the rewards. Last week we talked about planted and allowing, giving God permission to take us out of our pot and put us in the ground so that we can be planted by the rivers of water. And today we're going to talk about Psalm 13b, that we shall be like a, a tree that brings forth its fruit in its season. Now this tree has one lime, but it is fruit. 
What an amazing promise. And some, some translations say, ready to bring forth fruit in every season. Not just to bring forth fruit in one season per year, but ready to bring forth fruit in every season. Because fruitfulness really is just a sign of what in a tree's life? Can a tree, when it has two little sprigs, bear fruit? What is fruitfulness a sign of? Maturity. A mature tree bears fruit. Fruitfulness, bless you. That was, that was an amazing sneeze, whoever that was. Fantastic. Yes, ready to bring forth fruit in every season. And let's just survey some people from the Bible. Okay, Abraham, he was fruitful past his age, right? Age doesn't disqualify you from fruitfulness. Joseph was fruitful in a pit. He was fruitful as a servant in, Potter's, in Potiphar's house. He was, a, he was fruitful as a prisoner, and he was fru fruitful as the right-hand man to Pharaoh in the palace. So fruitfulness was not a condition of his circumstance. Ruth was fruitful even when she was left penniless and an outcast. Now fruitfulness was not just a measure of her wealth or her stature. Joshua and David, they were both fruitful in seasons of overwhelming opposition. So fruitfulness is not a measure of how the deck is stacked against you. Fruitfulness, or how about Esther? She was fruitful when she was outnumbered and without any social privilege. Paul was, and John, and many of the, the, the folks in the early church or the New Testament church, they were fruitful under intense persecution. Right? So fruitfulness is not a measure of how comfortable my life is or how many forces are coming against me. God's people are fruitful. That's what Jesus said in John 15, 8. He said, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. He is saying, you'll know my disciples because they're fruitful. Those who are fruitful are my disciples. They're synonymous. And so we have to think that fruitfulness is probably not what we think it is. Because we, we, we oftentimes think that fruitfulness is success. Let me say that again. Fruitfulness is not success. Now, the person who is fruitful, that fruitfulness often multiplies into holy success in the long term. But fruitfulness is not success. You can be successful and unfruitful. You can also be fruitful and unsuccessful in the world's eyes. Let me, let me give you just a, a, a brief thing. Um, I told you last week that my wife thought she was marrying a stockbroker, and really she was marrying, uh, and, and it turns out she married an unemployed wannabe Christian rock star. That, that wasn't on the bill of sale uh, when she signed the marriage certificate, um, but it is something that, um, that, that God got her into, so it's not my fault, I promise. Um, 
But in terms of the measure of success, all the time and the effort and the several years that we spent uh, writing songs and honing our craft and buying instruments and going, you know, playing concerts in every venue and eating enough Costco pizza to bear. I had to take a 10-year break from Costco pizza um, because it's amazing whenever you show up uh, to a church in another city and you say, hey, can you provide us some food? Guess what shows up? Costco pizza. It's the cheapest way to feed five guys, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, I've had enough Costco pizza for a lifetime. But by any world's measures, our band was not successful, meaning we didn't get more sales in uh, song plays on Spotify or CD sales or T-shirt sales than the money and the effort we put into it. But we were fruitful, and the fruitfulness began in us. It cured in us any desire or the allure of celebrity. And that meant that God could actually use us. There are many people, many young people, whose lives were transformed, who received the gospel, who were saved because of the ministry. So we were fruitful, but we were not successful. And there are many people that are successful selling all kind of stuff, and they're not fruitful. Right? So fruitfulness is not success. Fruitfulness is not comfort. We went through that list of people in the Bible. There was almost nothing comfortable about their lives. Almost nothing. But we chase comfort a lot. Fruitfulness is not comfort. Fruitfulness is also not your met expectations. Now, how many of you have some expectations over your season of life, where you want to live, maybe what you, the, 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 how you want to be treated at work, the raise you think you deserve? I don't know, how you expect your spouse to treat you? You have expectations. Fruitfulness is not a function of anything that happens with anybody else. Fruitfulness is a one-sided equation. Fruitfulness is not your met expectations because your met expectations have to do with other people. Fruitfulness is the natural result of an unhindered heart. Let me say that again. Fruitfulness is the natural result of an unhindered heart rooted in God's word. This tree does not work to put that lime out there. The tree does not work to bear fruit. It bears fruit because that's what it's designed to do. And fruitfulness is important. Like um, in uh, Colossians 1.10, Paul talked, he was writing to the, to, to the church there, and he says, you know, he's praying for the church, and he says that you or that we may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So what did Jesus teach about fruitfulness? We're going to take a quick peek. Um, we're going to take a look at probably a familiar passage. Um, Jesus spent a considerable amount of time talking about fruitfulness. He, in, one, in one passage in John, you know, he, uh, he says, you know, abide in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can achieve nothing. Not meaning that you can do nothing in your own strength. In your own strength. You can do nothing that really matters. Apart from me, you're you apart from me, you cannot bear fruit. You may be able to do all kind of things, but you will not bear fruit 
but with me you will bear much fruit that my Father would be glorified. And then also in Matthew chapter 13 um, and in Luke as well, um, Jesus tells a parable about fruitfulness, about the soil of our hearts. Um, and we're going to take a look at that this morning. Um, you know, what did Jesus teach about faithful? I mean, fruitfulness? Um, and he, it was so important that he not only told the parable, and the parable is recorded in multiple places, but he also then recorded the explanation or the teaching on the parable alongside it. And so we're just going to look at that part. It's Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 to 23. This is Jesus explaining this parable or this teaching about fruitfulness um, to his disciples. It says, therefore, here, or... Listen and let me explain to you what I was talking about here, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. And this is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who receives the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For then, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground, say good ground, good ground, is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So we're going to talk about that just a little bit. Now, uh, there are many teachings that go through the four different conditions of soil, the so conditions of soil in our hearts. I'm going to make this is not going to be a comprehensive teaching on this passage. I'm going to highlight just one thing between the good soil that defines the good soil from the other three, and then we're going to take a look at what our responsibility is in fruitfulness and what Jesus' responsibility is in fruitfulness and making sure that we don't confuse our work from his work our responsibility with his. Because if we try to do his work, we're going to be really frustrated. And if we don't do our work, we're going to be really stuck. So the key, right, the first key, what is in the grounds of our heart, what distinguishes good soil from the rest? And it's right here. He says it, you know, first in verse 18, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, and then in verse 23, it says, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and, what is that word? Understands it. That word, understand, is the Greek word, soon, spelled S-U-N like the sun, but it's pronounced soon. Hearts of good soil hear the word and understand it. Now, understanding here is not being smart. It's not a sign of intellectual capacity. It's not academic learning. You can understand the word and never have spent one day in school. You can understand at any level of development, at any IQ, at any age, at any stage, from any background, from any pedigree. Understand here, it means a primal union. 
meaning total integration, to receive unto wholeness, to become complete with. How many of you ever tried to make cookies by hand with a spatula? And after baking those cookies, who's gotten the salty one? Do you know what I'm talking about? Right? There's a half a teaspoon of salt that goes in. You can't stir all that salt in evenly. So somebody's going to get the salty cookie. You know what I'm talking about? Well, to understand... Right To understand, to, be, to receive and to have it totally integrated is to put that salt or to receive the word and have it completely blended in to the real you so that it is fully dispersed and integrated into your heart, truly. Like to modernize that definition, understand means to own it. You own the word. It's not that I have some great intellectual capacity, although I am I'm not in any way diminishing or minimizing the need to study or to learn and grow in our knowledge of what God's word means. What I'm saying is, is that what Jesus is talking about is, is that we need to own it. To understand it means that we receive it. It's not that I'm spending all my time with my head trying to figure out whether I'm going to believe it or not. It's that I receive it into my heart and allow the Holy Spirit to completely make that the, the salt that is being poured in evenly distributed into the real me, that it becomes part of the real you. Now, when I was a first a Christian, when I was a first a believer, um, my, uh, I, my life, in, in a sense, in nothing in my life reflected the character, the structure, or God's law. Almost nothing. None of my relationships, none of my friendships, my job, nothing. The way I approached, I mean, it was all out of order. And when I received Christ, early on, probably within a couple weeks, there was, a, there was some people from Agape, and I was having a dinner with them at, uh, at In-N-Out Burger in Atascadero. And they were all talking about their life verses and the things that God was doing. They were talking about scripture references. I didn't know books that were in the Bible. And I'm thinking in my head, I don't know anything that they're talking about. I mean, have you ever been around a bunch of Christians and realize, I don't know anything that they're talking about? They're, they're talking in a language that I do not understand. Well, that was me that night, and I'm thinking, and I wasn't hating on it. I just, I thought, God, you know, I, I need something. I need a life verse. They're talking about a life verse. I need a life verse. I need something to, to, to live on. And I'm sitting there with my 20 ounces of pancreatic shock in my hand. That's 85 grams of sugar right there in the cup, right? <laughs> My 20 ounces of pancreatic shock. And you know, uh, in and out, they put little scripture verses on all of their cardboard products. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I see on the inside, P-R-O-V period 3 colon 5. And I think, That's, that looks like a Bible verse. Okay. Well, I kept that cup. I took it home. I got out my Bible. I found prov meant proverbs. Right? I, right? Okay? I am not, I have no understanding of God's word. I've had an experience. I've received Christ because he saved and rescued me. And then I saw that. I, he knew what I needed. He brought what I needed. And I read it said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and never rely on what you think you know. And I mean, I didn't try to figure out whether I was going to believe that or not. I just received it. 
I owned it. I, I, I understood it, and I let the Holy Spirit mix it up and make it part of the real me. Now, then, the fruit that that bore is, is that, you know, weeks later, the girl that I was dating, when she found out, you know, I was spending all my time at church instead of with her, um, and things kind of got a little out of whack, and she's saying, Jeff, I thought there was, no, there was no love that was possible of splitting us apart. And I'm thinking, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Never rely on what you think you know. Because had I, I, what I thought I knew was what I had made of my own life. And he was taking me out of the life that I had made, not only for my protection, but also for the sake of the other people that I had really gone off the rails with. And so I allowed, and I walked right out of that. I didn't cry over it. I didn't, it wasn't, and I wasn't being calloused or hard of heart, but I got brought out of that and into, and, and into a season of singleness. Hallelujah. My friends, the, my friends that, I, that I hung out with, we just partied and got high on the weekends. That's all we did. And so when I wasn't partying and getting high, I didn't spend any time with them. And one of my friends actually came to where I worked and got so upset because I wasn't, I, you know, they were claiming I was too good for them and I was too, too this and hating on me. Took all the stuff that had been at any of our friends' house that were mine and threw all of my stuff out onto the parking lot and mocked me through the window of my place of work and took off. Now, that was, I could have been hurt by that, but the word, trust in the Lord with all your heart and never rely on you think you know, kept bearing fruit. And so I was like, well, God, if, those, if you're moving those friends out of my life, you're going to bring some new ones. I'm just going to trust you. I'm not going to rely on what I thought I knew. Even in my place of work, most of the place where I was working, I'm not going to tell you what it was, um, but uh, most of them were pot smokers as well. And I started listening to uh, Christian music, to some worship music while I was at work. And all of a sudden I get a call from a supervisor and says, hey, come into the office. And I was like, and I really had no idea what it was. I was working harder than I had ever worked before. I mean, I was, I was producing more. I was doing more good for the company than I had been before. But all of a sudden, we've noticed your, what you're listening to on the radio. It's like, uh, okay. He said, well, I just, have, I just have to say exactly what he said, and you can judge it for yourself. Uh, he said, well, all Christians are Republicans, and they're the enemy to what we're doing. So you're not going to listen to that anymore. Now, that, those thoughts, that whole line of thinking had not even occurred to me. And it wasn't even it like, it was just where the, this, this, this place was, this, this team was at. Um, and so I was like, well, I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart. And I'm not going to rely on what I think I know. And that probably means I'm not going to be here much longer. So I was out of that, and I was into a new job. And it was like, that word bore fruit through my life. It was not a measure of my success, a measure of my comfort. It was not a measure of my met expectations. It was fruit, fruitfulness. And the key is understanding, owning it. Our work in this passage is to clear 
the hindrances. The stones and the thorns. The first soil says, you know, the person, they didn't understand it at all. It was just the word of the kingdom. It fell by the wayside. It produced nothing. It grew into nothing. They didn't own it. They didn't want it. They didn't want to believe it. It's fine. The last, the good soil is is the person who receives and understands, who owns the word in their life. And the middle two talk about two hindrances. These are people, and oftentimes they're us. We, when we receive the word of the kingdom, there are hindrances that keep the word from bearing fruit in our lives. Our work is not the fruit. Our work is clearing the hindrances. So the first hindrance that he talks about is stones. But he who receives the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. The stony heart enjoys a good message, but isn't changed by it. Now you can come in here and you can enjoy and say, wow, that that's reasonably entertaining. The guy's kind of funny, but not as funny as the, the podcast I listen to every Wednesday or whatever it is that you, whatever that you say or the word. You say, wow, that's an amazing piece of wisdom in the scripture. But if you don't receive it and own it, it will do no good to you. Now, the stone, stones, this hindrance represents your unwillingness. Stones are your unwillingness. Right, because Jesus said they have no root in themselves, so they blow over easy. No root in themselves means you might have no settled principles. You're not willing to be the only one saying yes when everyone else is saying no, or the only one saying no when everyone else is saying yes. It might mean that you have no firm resolution to persevere. Like you're the only one, you're willing to be the only one going on if everyone else wants to quit. No established habits are, you might be the, you might not be willing to be the only one doing something, the only one doing a devotion in your family when the rest of your family is making fun of you. Your unwillingness is stones. They are stones because a stone spoil the root. Stones spoil the root and prevent the tree from maturing. Stones are your unwillingness and my unwillingness, right? The same sun that warms and cherishes the well-rooted withers and burns up those who have no root in themselves. Trials which shake and stumble some confirm and establish others. You know, if hardship causes a crisis of faith, scares you away from promises, becomes a stumbling block that can't be overcome or puts you in retreat mode, sounding the alarm to run and hide, you got some stones. Or you might be stoned. I don't know. But you probably got some stones preventing your tree, the root, from going down deep in your own heart. Stones are a big deal. They are a hindrance. You know, my... Uh, my wife wanted to, uh, when we first moved to the country about eight years ago, uh, to a family property in West Templeton, she said, Jeff, I'd really like to, to have a couple of fruit trees. 
um, a peach tree and a pear tree would be nice. And so by the time what she had said made it through my male mind, I heard she wanted a big orchard. <laughs> so when my cousin came to help me disc the field where were we going to put our six rows of seven, six or seven fruit trees and the ditch witch for irrigation. In about 20 minutes, we disced that whole field, which is, you know, it's a, an attachment to a tractor and it tills up the soil. And we were done by like nine o'clock. And then he said, Jeff, you know, I'll be back next weekend to uh, help. And we're going to start with the, with the fence. And I was like, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. You know, what, what are you going to do? He's all, oh no, Jeff, now you, you have to clear out the stones. I was like, what do you mean? He's all, well, we dissed the field. You got to clear the stones. I was like, well, why? He said, well, if you don't clear the stones out when we plant the trees, the roots won't go down and the trees will blow over in the first storm. And I thought, oh, well, okay. Like, was it going to take me an hour or something? No, 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 no. Days, days of picking up. These are actually stones from that orchard. Buckets and buckets and buckets and buckets and wagonfuls of stones. Stones spoil the root. Stones are your unwillingness before the Lord. And the other is thorns. The other hindrance he talks about is thorns. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. You know, if stones, if stones spoil the root, thorns, thorns spoil the fruit. Now we think oftentimes that thorns are like thorns on a rose bush, like they're thorns on the same plant that the fruit is on. That is not what Jesus is saying. And if you've grown fruit trees or you've grown, you've had gardens or plants, the thorns are other plants that come up at the time of harvest, at the time of fruitfulness. They are thistles. I hate thistles. Thistles are part of the fall. Star thistles are even more demonic than regular thistles. They're all kind of plants that come up with these spines and thorns and they wrap themselves around the tree and they are water hogs. I mean, you cut open one of these thorny plants and they are just dripping with water. You know why? Thorns steal the nutrients and they choke the fruit because in order to boost, produce fruit, all of the nutrients in the water that the plant is planted, the tree is planted in comes out to bear the fruit. But thorns choke it out and steal the nutrients. Well, what did he say thorns were? The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. What are the cares of this world? Could be your image, like your reputation, your influence. Could be pleasures, your lusts, your appetites for food, for drink, for sex. Could be your vanity, your hobby obsessions. Gossip. The cares of this world. But aside from just the general cares of the world, he specifically identifies the deceitfulness of riches, apart from just kind of general materialism that would be the cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches. And the reason why I believe he identified it is it is a unique and particularly invasive thorn. 
You know, wealth in itself is neither good nor evil. Wealth only leverages the quality of your character in the world. So if you have a generous and humble and faithful heart, wealth in your hands does lots of good in the world. And if your heart is broken and selfish and conniving and deceitful, then wealth does much evil in the world. All it does is place leverage on your character. That's why when we put our desires, our attention, our confidence, our searching in riches, whether we have them or not, deceitfulness of riches is not whether you're wealthy or not, it's whether you trust in them or not. When we put our desires, our attention, our confidence in riches, they will deceive us. And the deceitfulness of riches will choke out the fruitfulness of God's word in your life. Our work is to clear the hindrances. His work is the fruit. Ushers, can you pass out communion? I'm heading to the first of my seven Pentecostal closes. Well, we're, we're almost there. Fruitfulness is the natural result of an unhindered heart. Fruit is not produced by striving and excruciating effort. And what fruit? Well, Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit, the singular fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5.22, as supernatural charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, these aren't things. They're not things to work at. We're not going to work on our self-control and our faithfulness and our goodness and kindness as fruit. These things, these are Jesus. The Spirit bears singular the fruit of Jesus. The Spirit's role is to glorify Jesus in your life and in my life, that we would bear fruit. And supernatural quantities of fruit. And that fruit is first for us and then multiplied for the world. Can you imagine your experience of life if you were full of supernatural charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? What would your experience of life be? It would be awesome. And it would be awesome not dependent on how nice your boss was. It would be awesome in not how your spouse is treating you today. It would be awesome despite whether your kids were rebelling. It would be awesome despite whatever is going on. What, the, the fruit is coming from the root in your heart, from the inside, because you are planted like a tree by the river of water. The river is the, the allegory or the illustration of the Holy Spirit that brings up the nutrients from the ground, from the bedrock, the foundation of God's word into your life and fully stirs and integrates that into your heart so that you can bear and bring forth the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit by the Holy Spirit. Now that fruit is then multiplied to others, but I want to ask you a series of questions that will help you understand or help and has helped me understand 
whether I am working and striving for the wrong things. Am I working on the fruit or am I working to clear the hindrances so that the word can bear fruit? Are you obligating yourself to charity or bearing charity as a fruit? Are you pressuring yourself for more joy or are you bearing joy as a fruit? Are you striving for peace in your relationships or are you bearing peace as a fruit? Are you fighting yourself to be more patient or are you bearing patience as a fruit? Are you forcing yourself to be kind or are you bearing kindness as a fruit? Are you working hard for goodness or are you bearing goodness as a fruit? Are you grumbling in your faithfulness or bearing faithfulness as a fruit? Are you containing yourself in order to be gentle or are you bearing gentleness as a fruit? Are you beating yourself up over issues of self-control or are you bearing self-control as a fruit? When you run into these draining emotions, these strivings, instead of forcing or trying to force your stressed tree to bear fruit, take a step back. Look for stones, look for thorns. Clear the hindrances, clear the deck and the soil of your heart from unwillingness unwillingness to be the only one who says yes, unwillingness to be the one that perseveres, unwillingness to be the one that is devoted and whose habits show a devotion to Christ. Clear the deck and clear the soil of the thorns, the cares of this world, your desire for image, reputation, rights, privileges, what you're owed, what you think you're owed, your lusts, your appetites, the deceitfulness and your trust in wealth and riches. Clear the soil of stones and thorns. That's our work. Our responsibility is to make sure that the soil of our hearts has no stones and no thorns. His fruit comes always. He brings forth the fruit. We can do nothing. We can bear no fruit apart from him. But with him, we bear much fruit because he brings it forth. And yes, we bear fruit in different ways, but Jesus always brings the increase. And this, the last little piece of this, this passage oftentimes trips us up because the 30, 60, 100-fold descriptions, that is not a description of some that have mediocre faith, some that have strong faith, and some that have hero faith. Because let me tell you, there is no tree in its own strength that bears even 30-fold. These are descriptions of supernatural ability and multiplication. This is that if you clear the stones and the thorns away and you own the word then Jesus will bring forth fruit of supernatural proportion. And it won't look the same in everyone's life. But it will be supernatural beyond your ability, beyond your strivings and your efforts. You will be received 30, 60, and 100-fold. That is epic. If you're, if you're laboring over a two-fold return, 
right? That, that is your own strength. When we clear the hindrances and allow his word to flourish, it's supernatural. And Jesus bore the fruit of the spirit because his heart was unhindered and rooted in God's word. He was God's word to us. And his fruitfulness, yes, he was all of these things in supernatural proportion, supernatural love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it wasn't without suffering. He suffered much. But suffering posed no threat to his fruitfulness. And so let us return today to the meal that nourishes our soul, that makes God's word real and practical for us. Because we didn't, when Jesus left the earth, what he left his friends with was not a philosophy book. It was a meal. Let's own this meal today as the word of the kingdom. This is my body, broken for you. This is my body broken for you. I was broken so you could be whole. I was broken so your soul could be nourished. I was bruised so that your iniquity could be washed away. I was broken so that your diseases could be healed. I was broken so that your suffering and your pain could be removed. My body was broken for you. Let's eat together. And he shared this cup and he said, this is my cup. It's a cup that only I can drink from. But in it is my blood. My cup is my blood that has been shed for you to forgive your sin and for the remission of sin all over the world. This blood will wash away every stain of sin and darkness, every wound and hurt, every root of bitterness and resentment. It will wash it all away and set a hedge and a line and a boundary and a covering where you will be brought into the kingdom of my good pleasure, the kingdom of my presence, the great and glorious kingdom whose government shall never end, shall never wither, shall never decline, whose streets are paved with exceedingly precious promises for you to walk in. Today and for all eternity, this is my blood shed for you. And in it, there is no condemnation for you. There is total healing and deliverance for you. Let's drink. And let's pray. God, we're grateful so much for your design and your plan for us and your heart for us to live in a blessed relationship with you. God, let us turn from striving and working on the fruit. And I pray, God, that you, by your grace, would give us the strength 
and the clarity. God, to pull the hindrances out of the soil of our hearts, to remove stones and thorns. God, that your word would flourish and that we would bear much fruit. That we would enjoy, God, our relationship with you to the full. And that life and blessing would multiply to all those around us. In Jesus' name.